our screw-ups. We all come from dysfunctionality. There's no such thing as the perfect person or the perfect family or the perfect life. And I think the more that people recognize that, I think they'll be a better person because of it too. I'm excited to go out and live however long it is to continue to be happy, be positive. It's a great life. Now all we got to do is go out and share it with others. The Cutco Vector Marketing business lost a legend on Friday, February 12th, 2021. Tom Rastrelli was one of the most impactful leaders in the company's 70-plus year history. A veteran of the Cutco business since 1992, he became the company's first double Hall of Fame achiever, having reached that milestone in both sales and in management. He was a company pioneer in areas such as the fair and show and service call programs, and he mentored many of the company's current elite Cutco sales professionals. In his personal life, Tom dealt with an early bout with cancer in his 20s and the loss of employment in his 40s, which led to him finding Cutco. As I recorded this conversation with Tom on March 27th, 2020, he was again battling cancer and was permanently on oxygen as a result of fibrosis in his lungs, all while the coronavirus pandemic was spreading around us. And yet, Tom always had a refreshing and inspiring perspective on life's challenges. He was able to celebrate 50 years of marriage with his wife, Jill, in September of 2020. He is survived by four children, seven grandchildren, and an everlasting legacy in the Cutco Vector organization. This podcast was originally created to share all the ways that alumni and leaders from Cutco are changing lives throughout the world. Tom Rastrelli changed so many lives through his amazing influence. He lived a life of true significance. Thank you for honoring Tom's memory by listening to his story and all of the great wisdom that he shares here. Rest in peace, Tom Rastrelli. Mr. Tom Rastrelli is my guest for today. Uh, Tom started in the Cutco Vector business in 1992, became a top sales rep in the central region of the company, ultimately advanced into management with the company. Tom was a district manager and a division manager for a while, headquartered in Des Moines, Iowa. He ran the Storm Division, which is Iowa and Nebraska primarily. And Tom became a, a member of the Hall of Fame as a manager in the company. Ultimately, Tom redirected his career into the personal sales arena, where he became, as far as we know, the first ever double Hall of Fame member in our company, qualifying for Hall of Fame in both management and personal sales. Tom is a top pioneer of the service call certification program. He's an expert in selling, an expert in customer service, and a mentor to many people in the company over the years lives now in Plano, Texas, and we're very excited to have Tom Rastrelli on the podcast today. So Tom, thank you so much for making time. Oh, you're welcome, Dan. It's good to be out with you. You and I go back a long time, so it's good to see old familiar faces, and uh, you look like you just started working with Cutco back then, right? now. uh, Yeah, right. Well, anyway, thanks a lot for that, Tom. That's great. That's great. Well, I'd like to be able to have people get to know a little bit about you. And so if you want to start out by sharing a little bit about yourself and your personal background, that'd be a good place to start. Be happy to. Yeah, I've uh, I've been blessed. I've got a wonderful wife, Jill. Been married to her. It'll be 50 years in September. 
and he's my strength and my my best friend. And uh, uh, really been fortunate. I had two great parents, uh, Pete and Ida, uh, immigrant, I'm a first generation Italian, and uh, I learned a lot from them about business and life. And both deceased now, obviously. But I've got four beautiful kids, and they're all grown up. And we're happy we got them through college, and they got their own lives and doing really well. Four, seven beautiful grandkids. And, you know, life's been good. And I got a great job. I get to consult with people and talk with people and, and help nurture people through different things and kind of create stuff, which I really like. I like creating stuff. And that's why I like cooking. So it's kind of like cooking, but with your brain and developing, you know, people's skills. And, you know, I get to help people. When I was a sales rep, I always felt I was helping them destroy all the, the drudgery and hell in their kitchen from cooking because they're going to have the best cut and go knives that are going to be doing the work for them. So, yeah, what a great job. I got a great life. Can't complain. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's great to hear that you have that spirit, Tom. And, and you're so well-respected in the company, uh, you know, that uh, you're able to have a, an influence on a lot of people and be able to continue developing new ideas and, you know, hatching new things that the company is doing. So it's cool to see you being able to thrive in your role. And yes, we do go way back. And why don't we take it back to those early days, Tom, and tell us a little bit about how you started with Cutco in uh, 1992. 1992. It's like, uh, I know the story goes around a lot. A lot of people know, it, a lot of people don't, but I actually a personal recruit of my daughter, Jenny, my oldest daughter. Right. She was a dancing acting student and she was on a summer job out in Colorado and she broke her foot, got a stress fracture. They sent her back to Clinton, Iowa, where we lived. And we told her she had to get a job. And of course, I didn't work either. We had just closed down one of our family businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the restaurant business for 23 years with my mom and dad started the restaurant. Matter of fact, our restaurant right now is still in existence. My brother runs it. It's 80 years old. He's been in business. Wow. 80 years. And so anyway, I left the business, and I really didn't know what I was going to do. It's kind of, again, scary. But I just, you know, applied. never got anything. And finally, I just ended up doing papers with my, my youngest son. He had a paper route. So I told people I used to be a, a paper boy before I started with Cutco. And, uh, <laughs> And then my daughter got this job, and she came home all excited, and she said, I got a job. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm going to be selling knives. And, man, I thought it was about the biggest joke. I thought it was a scam. I seriously did. And I said, you're not going to do that. <laughs> so you, you were the negative I parent. Was, I was the typical, the most negative parent. <laughs> but my wife intervened in her wisdom that she has, and she says to me, well, at least she has a job. <laughs> and boy, did that shut me up, I'll tell you. So anyway, she started, and I had heard, and she wouldn't show it to me. She wouldn't show it to either of us the first two weeks. because she was just scared that I was just going to tear it apart and everything. And I heard that she had these sales. And I think she sold something like 2000 back then in that first couple of weeks, which is only a bad start. You know, back in 1992, a grand a week was a pretty good day. A pretty good week. Anyway, she wanted my wife to see it, and she said she wouldn't. I, I said, "Look, let me take a look at it too." So she begrudgingly let me sit in. And after we did the demo, uh, she did the demo. I was like totally stoked on that product. My brother is a chef, 
He graduated from Culinary Institute of America. He had a set of Hankel's knives, Hankel four stars. So I knew what good knives were like, but these knives totally blew Hankel's out of the water. <laughs> and I wanted to buy the whole darn set. The homemaker back then it was $683 back in those, or 643 I remember. And, you know, Joe was a teacher and I had no job. So we settled on the Studio Plus Four. And here's how she closed me, which today we laugh. But uh, I said, well, what? I'd like to get that, which is, well, if you buy that set, I'll give you a choice free of your kitchen tools or your super shares. And back then, kitchen tools were 99 bucks. Super shares were like 59 bucks. And I said to her, are you sure you can do that without getting fired? I'll take, <laughs> I'll take the $100 one. She goes, Dad, for you, I'll do anything. How about that for clothes? <laughs> How can you say no? No, I know it. So anyway, we got our knives. And then a couple weeks later, there was a conference out in Des Moines that was our divisional conference. And we had a parents' night where parents could come with the students. And so my, mom, my wife and I decided to go with her. She would pay this. So uh, we got out there, and the guest speaker that night was Marty Dimitrovich. Wow. And he gave the wrap-up talk. And, of course, that was good enough. But, you know, during the whole process, I saw these young kids, college students, going up on stage and getting trophies and tell them how much they sold. And then they said, half, I make half baby. So I asked my daughter, I said, what's half baby? She said, 50% commission. I started thinking in my mind, okay, they're selling $4,000 and they made $2,000 a week, $2,000 a week times 50, two weeks off for vacation. I'm still making $50,000 a year, you know? Are you kidding me? So I nudged my wife and I said, hey, honey, you think I could sell knives for a living? She kind of looked at me and shrugged her shoulders and said, I don't know, maybe. So anyway, after the meeting, met Marty at the door and I was leaving and I said to him, I said, hey, I, my daughter is one of your sales reps, but I got a question for you. Do you have any old guys selling knives for you? <laughs> and he laughed like you did. And he said, why? And I said, well, look, here's the deal. I'm out of work and I don't have a job and I need a job and I can sell these things if you give me a chance. And he said, in typical fashion, Marty, you know, but he said, well, I'll tell you what. Can't guarantee a job. <laughs> it's an interview. <laughs> so he introduced me to the manager from Clinton. Very next day, I was down applying, got accepted, and uh, I started work on July third, nineteen ninety-two. That is so awesome, Tom. So cool to hear how you started. It is, you know, through your daughter getting started and going yeah. to a meeting, and Marty D was there, and yeah, it was oh, like it's neat. That whole thing was like a, it was like a God moment, I call it, you know, if she would have broken her foot, she knew where to come home and got that job. And I may not be with Cutco. So yeah. who knows from yeah. something bad, something comes good. Exactly. Exactly. Well, t- tell us about, uh, when you started and what it was like. I had a great opportunity in that I got a chance to work with Marty. And I think those of us that know Marty know how great an influence he was on the Cutco business with more people that he's impacted than anybody probably. And my first 10 days, my fast start was my fast start. Yeah. And I went to a conference in Chicago, got a chance to meet Don Frieda, president of the company was there. And I had 38 of 42 sales at fast start. In your first 10 days. Yeah. I sold a homemaker. My only homemaker was on my very 
last appointment. So I was, you know, I thought it was pretty good. I think I sold $6,307 or $6,703, something like that. And I was on stage with all these people. And when the smoke cleared, there were only two people left on stage. And one of them was this skinny, young, wiry Notre Dame kid from Kansas City. And we both know him and love him. <laughs> Scotty Dennis. Scott Dennis, yes. And me. And the old guy, you know. And, well, it came to, to win. And Scott beat me by 47 bucks. <laughs> and, and he told me that he did 10 more appointments than I did. And he, so he just beat me. I thought, and that's when I kind of knew I could be a champion. If he did that and he worked harder than I did, you know, if I would have done one more appointment, I could have beat him, you know. But he was, uh, it was fun. Don Frida, he gave me the trophy and I hugged him. And I, I hugged Marty. Like, I think I hugged everybody on stage. Probably hugged Scott. I don't know. It was kind of cool to know that company, as big as it was, still cared about its people. And you could still rub elbows with the boos and shakers in the company. That impressed me tremendously. Mm-hmm. A large corporation they were. And I found out it wasn't a scam, believe me. It was not a scam at all. Indeed. Yeah. And then I went on to finish first in the central region. And I finished fourth in the nation after that six months. And I really thought I could be number one. So I stayed selling for another three years. And I finished fourth each time in the nation and first each time in central. And Ken Schmidt had a, a new group that was starting called the FSM Society, which became the real FSM Advisory Board. Right. right. I was on that originally. Yeah. And, and that's kind of how... I got started in the business and and then went on had a really good sales career. I was like you say I I couldn't believe how good I was doing, but I, I had I had a really excellent sales career. Yeah, well, yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about that career and let's talk about some of the lessons that came out of it. If you have some particular stories that you can remember or moments that were transformational in either oh, yeah. your sales career or your management career, Tom, I would love to be able to hear about those things. Yeah, we got a week. <laughs> but anyway, no, I remember after the first six months, I went to that year at Banquet. Of course, it was pretty impressive. Saw all these managers getting these big bonus checks. I wanted to be a manager. But Marty, Marty had better ideas. Marty needed a sales leader and to drive his organization forward. So he told me, he said, look, someday you'll be a manager, and you will. He said, but I'd really like you to be the rabbit out in front of everybody and help drive the whole region up. And I appreciate it if you just continue selling. So I, he said, you think you could ever be number one in the, in the nation? I said, yeah, I think I can. So uh, I stayed there. And of course, you know, like I say, I didn't finish number one, but I got pretty close to it. We still had tremendous success in the central region. And Marty said something to me in that conversation that I never forgot. And it ended up being some of the most impactful words I've ever heard in my life. He said to me, someday, Tom, you're going to be a manager. And you will. But someday you may decide to leave management and you'll have so much confidence that you'll be able to pick up that sample kit, go out and sell Cutco for a living. Mm. And those words were like, I thought, well, if I ever become a manager, I'm not going to leave being a manager. I mean, but thanks a lot, you know. But those words still run true, especially when it did happen in 2002. When I decided to leave the business, my management position, 
I had that confidence. And that's where I got kind of involved in uh, one of my reps was in the Iowa State Fair and had gathered a bunch of leads that I couldn't do. And he gave those leads to me. And these were like three or four months old. And I still called them up. And people were happy to see me. And back in those days, you know, when they first had their fair program, there was kind of the typical genre that they thought was, if you can't, you got to call somebody within two or three weeks or they won't make appointments with you. And I totally blew that out of the water. It was months later. They wanted to see me. They loved seeing me. They loved Cutco. And it was such a confidence builder again. And that's when I got involved. And I, I looked at the fair program and I thought, you know, this can be changed. We can be selling a lot more at the booth than we, we're not going to sell anything. We were getting free looks and things like that and going on service calls. And so I started developing some sales techniques. And pretty soon I was able to get a, a position with Johnny Kane and uh, helping me and uh, Steve Porcic with the company as a consultant to be the first consultant for in the fair and show, which now is at the events department, and really have taken the sales in the booth from practically nothing to like, oh man, a million dollars that these booths are doing now. Yeah. Unbelievable. So I'm just very proud of the group that I had to work with. And, you know, when it comes to impacting people and the lessons I learned, I learned that if you do your job right, whether you're as a manager and teacher, you can always develop people under you that will soon be better than you. And that was one of my goals. My goal was to help develop people so that they would be better than me. And it's that's come to fruition because there's a heck of a lot more better sales reps in this country than Tom Estrelli and in the fairs and shows. And you know, guys like Josh and Curtis and Cutco Mike and Jason Jeffrey, Luke Mills, I can go right down the list and TC and Eric and, and Matt out west and you know Deanna and and Kareem and you know Andy down south in Florida and Alicia up north JPB I mean I love I love so many people out and I, I don't mean to do that but there's just a lot of good sales great salespeople out there and that to me is like having a trophy it's like having human trophies that I've been able to help in some small way become successful on their own. Yeah, you know, you, all those names you just mentioned are all Hall of Fame, illustrious sales reps in our company, many of whom work primarily in the fair and show program or events program. And it's pretty cool to think about how, you know, when you decided to leave being in management with the company and decided that, you know, being involved in selling was the path you wanted to take and you connected with John Keane and got into this role you know, helping to consult other people in the company, the fair and show program was not anywhere near what it is now. And that you were one of the pioneers to help create this into what it is now, the opportunity that it is now for people to go out and sell so much at these booths and fairs and, and to do so well. So I think it's cool for the Vector world to be able to hear that you were one of the great pioneers of that, you know, back almost 20 years ago at this point. And you know, Dan, I had a lot of support though, a lot of support. John, Steve, and all the people that I worked with in the beginning in the office. Then Dave Bush came in. Dave Bush is just, I call him my man and Ole Ann, because that guy is fantastic. And his staff of, of gals up there, uh, they do such a tremendous job to build that program. And then, you know, the support we got from, from our executives to believe that this program could really thrive and, and be a tremendous, make an impact 
on the lives. I just feel blessed that I'm in that position that I can help other people. So that's what our business is all about, helping others. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know that a lot of people helped you in your early days. And and in particular, I believe you've been significantly influenced by Jerry Odyssey. (laughs) And can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, man. You know, Jerry was my, my biggest mentor and supporter. And those that don't know Jerry, Dan, you do. And those in Central Region know him very well. He was the motivational director for the Central Region. And I met him at Tantera at first, uh, after the first three months, they had an Academy of Champions, or not Academy of Champions, Conference of Champions, SC3, they called it. And uh, I first met Jerry. And Marty, of course, said, you got this guy, this hot shot, you know, selling. Make sure you meet him and talk to him. So Hackey and I just clicked right from the beginning. You know, I was an older guy. He was an older guy. He taught me everything. And we must have talked. We, I don't know how many hours we talked that night. We started at 6 o'clock at night at dinner. And they had to kick us out of the room. Literally, we were the last two. They were stripping the tablecloth off the table to get us the hell out of there. All the young kids were already in bed? They were out partying. I don't know. <laughs> he and I were talking about Sullen Cutco. And he was just amazing. And there were two times in my career where Jerry actually saved me, literally saved me from leaving the business. And I remember distinctly the first time was when I was a brand new uh, manager out in Des Moines, Iowa. Or I'm sorry, it was in Clinton. And that was about 1993. And he, um, he called me up. I was having a sales slump, which to Jerry meant you were having a demo slump. That's mm-hmm. what he called it. There's no such thing as a sales slump, only a demo slump. Anyway, he said, hey, I'm going to come out there to Clinton this Saturday, flying out from Appleton to go on your seven appointments that you got booked for Saturday. And I'm like, Jerry, I've never booked seven appointments on a Saturday in my entire life. He said, well, you're going to have those for seven when I come out, aren't you? And he said, <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. So I booked as many as I could. I only booked six. And he got there, and we went out. started at 9 o'clock in the morning. I had six appointments. Um, I sold on four, and one of them canceled. So I was four for five. I had three homemaker plus eights in a row. Bingo. Wow. Bingo. And he said, well, you had a grand day in profit today. And boy, I tell you, that saved me. And that just fired me up again. And he was funny because, you know, he used to give talks and a lot of his things are, you know, like uh, staccato, you know, gunshots, you know. Right. And, but he used to give a talk about having the, buying the best shirt in the world. And if anybody, those in Central Region that have ever seen him do that best shirt talk, I'll tell you what, he had a hard time not wetting yourself. Want you to do it because he, <laughs> it was it was funny, and every time you heard it, I think you laughed even more, even though you heard it before. So yeah, Jerry was quite a character. I loved him like a father, and uh, I miss him a lot. Yeah, great yeah, guy. That's awesome. He used to sell Cutco nineteen fifties when he started. It was one year old, and uh, he used to say, "I'm so old, I'm older than dirt." Matter of fact, my social security number is two. <laughs> and Moses had number one. You know, that's, that was Jerry. What a guy. Indeed. Indeed. Awesome. Awesome. How about Marty? Are there lessons oh, you remember from Marty? Yeah, Marty was a true mentor. He was the type of person that he let you learn on your own to a point that 
if you made a mistake, that's okay. He didn't expect perfection, and he kind of let you do it. He was not a micromanager. He just he let you learn through your own experiences and watching others. And he had just a generous heart. He helped other people. He was so in tune with how people were living and what they were doing and what they were thinking and did it on such a, a very casual, gentle, and loving way that you just felt always good. You always felt whatever he said, it was going to be the right thing to do because he was he was always on your side. And I learned to be successful. I learned to be significant. And I think that was what he always told us to do, was to be significant in life and to be a helper and a lover. And when he passed away, I really felt like we lost a lot of heart. But now we, we got it back. We, we got it back. You know, guys like Johnny Kane, he's put the heart back in Cutco for me. He exudes love, just like Marty did, in maybe a different way, but still is there. So, yeah, Marty, I miss him too, man. Great guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let me shift gears with you a little bit and talk about the concept of professional selling because you are the consummate pro. Uh, as a salesperson, as a customer service person. And I would love to hear your tips for people in selling. I'd be happy to. I think many of the things that we learn, we learn from others and, of course, uh, trial and error. But I always felt being humble is something that we all should be. We all have egos, but you have to be confident. You have to be humble, but maintaining your confidence. And I think that's one of the things that I've been able to learn. I've learned to be respectful, not only for people's time and property, but for their opinions. You know, when we go on sales calls, I always remember we were told never walk across a person's lawn, never park in their driveway, always take your shoes off, offer to take your shoes off. You know, that's just the simple things that people, they don't get from many people, and but they notice it if it's, if it's you doing it wrong, and that sets you off, you know, on a negative start. And I think just being, being that way with people all your life is going to be a big help. And being patient, that's the hardest thing, I'll tell you. And being patient not only with other people, because we are not a very patient society. And that's one of the things I've learned with my cancer, is to be patient. And you got to be patient with yourself. So don't try to, you know, push it. Just work hard and be patient. And you know, caring means not being so egotistical that you can't believe that you made a mistake. You know, as in teaching for those that are mentoring and for those that are teaching others as managers, I think to be caring and listening to people, listening is a tremendous gift that we all have to work on. And I think I've been able to become a better listener because of Cutco. And that really helps when you are working with people. And you know, I think being honest, everything. No matter if you screw up, you screw up, be honest about it. You don't have to make up a story. Just tell them, hey, I forgot to send your order in. Really apologize to you. You know, I, I can make it up for you in any way I will. But be honest about it because we all screw up. We all screw up, and it's going to happen someday to you if it isn't already. And so you might as well just confess it up and, and let it go. Because people, we found out that people, with, um, with when you commit things, and I know a lot of people are, have a hard time saying they're sorry. I never had. I, I always felt, you know, I, I could tell 
if I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But a lot of times people have that, they can't do it because it's a sign of weakness. And really what it is, a sign of strength in many ways because we all are screw-ups. Uh, we all have, we all come from dysfunctionality. There's no such thing as the perfect person or the perfect family or the perfect life. And I think the more that people recognize that, I think they'll be a better person because, because of it too. And then, you know, I want to share a couple of things that Jerry would say as far as the business is concerned. I always had a demo, Dan, that was like an hour and a half. <laughs> and he would say, he would always say to me, Tom, most demos are too long. <laughs> and then he'd say, why say blah, 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 when blah is enough, right? I remember that quote. And those things kind of stuck with me, you know, but it's very true, isn't it? And then, you know, Jerry always had a, he had a bumper sticker made, you know, things that I've learned in my life in business. Jerry had a bumper sticker made, and it was red, white, and blue. And it said, I wrote it down. It said, oh, I, can, I can recite this one for sure. Business is great, right? Business people, is great. People, people are, are terrific. Great, and life, life is wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> and, you know, I've got that in my office. I think those things that we learn from others, we can pass on the next generations. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, I have that bumper sticker from Jerry Otteson stuck on a file cabinet <laughs> that I have. Yeah, it's um, cool. I still come back to that from time to time and yeah. remember Jerry. And I've got his book right here in my home office, too. Yeah, his so. book is awesome. I've given that to so many people. It's great. Yeah. 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 yeah, you know, there were some good points that you offered here for anybody to learn. You talked about honesty, how we acknowledge our mistakes, I think reveals a lot about us. And that apologizing is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. Because it just shows that you're big enough to be able to overcome the desire to to be right. And you recognize, you know, what's right, right? And I've always said that what's right is more important than who's right. And um, somebody that's willing to acknowledge their mistakes, I do feel like that says a lot about you. Um, you talked about being caring in working with people and correcting you know, the things they do and teaching them and in helping them. That deep care is really an important thing. I once heard a guy talking about parenting and he was talking about right when kids do something bad and you're trying to correct your kids. And the phrase he used was, uh, you know, how can I remain tender in this situation? And I just thought about that idea of tenderness as it applies to parenting. Tenderness might not be the exact right word as it applies to leading and managing people in a work setting. But I think that the spirit of that is really important in terms of how somebody shows their genuine care for the people they work with. It's people that create results, right? And we need to be able to help to develop the person, the individual. So I, th I thought that was good. Patience, of course, and as we're trying to seek out the goals that we achieve, it's, it's natural for people to want everything right now. But we see people who have this sort of rocket fast success and we think it can be like that for everybody. And it's not always that way. And I, that, that is important as well. You talked about being respectful and then the combination of humility and confidence, right? Being able to walk that line where you have confidence in what you're doing, but while you're confident in what you're doing, you have enough humility to realize that you don't know everything and that sometimes things do change and new information comes out or things evolve and you want to be constantly learning and improving and growing. And when you can have that mentality along with being confident in what you're doing, that's what 
enables you to rise up even faster. So good stuff there, Tom. Yeah, that was good. And uh, the thing that I remember Jerry would say too, he would say, make me feel good and I'll produce. That's so true. And I think we've kind of lost that in corporate America, all across corporate America. Everybody's kind of out for themselves and, and they don't make their understaffers feel good about themselves. So consequently, they lose heart. And they, the, the direction is steered in, in a different way. And the boat could be going a lot farther and a lot faster if people that were rowing felt good about it. And so that's something that I think that I like about Cutco is that there are people that generally do care about you. And, and we have to develop more of that. We have to have that spirit. We have to always maintain that spirit. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, Tom. Well, I think that's a good segue as far as maintaining spirit into me asking you if if you'll indulge me to about some of your personal life challenges that you have had and, and are having now. If you're comfortable talking about this, I think it would be instructive for people to be able to hear your perspective. Well, thank you. I, I will tell you, I had cancer back in 1971, 49 years ago, and I was a, a young Wet behind the ears, newly wed, uh, one year, had a brand new baby, and uh, thought I was on top of the world, and just started my job in the restaurant back with my brothers and my mom, and, and I thought I had the world by the string, and found I had Hodgkin's disease, and uh, that kind of knocked the wind out of my sails for a while, but I never felt like I was going to die. I always had a positive attitude about things, and a lot of people were praying for me, obviously, which... I found out years later that who those, some of those people were when they come up and tell me, and I had no idea how powerful that was. But I felt back then I didn't really talk about it much to people. I didn't want to seem like I was any any big special person being survivor. But now I think I have a little different attitude. I think uh, I kind of jokingly say, I think that's why God gave it to him a second time, because he wants me to get it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I got to talk about it. I got to be, I feel like it help other, inspire other people that to know that we can beat it together, to have a positive attitude, to laugh and enjoy life. It's not a death sentence all the time. And even if it is, you want to go out on top. And, and so, you know, living your life to the fullest right now is something I think is really important. And to show others that you can still live. And like we talked about earlier, Dan, you know, yeah, I do have challenges right now. I'm, my cancer is actually getting better, but my lungs are pretty well destroyed from all the radiation, cobalt treatments I had back then, the present radiation treatments, chemotherapy I had to go through this time. They've kind of, I've got a lot of fibrosis and ground glass in my lungs, and it's difficult to breathe. I have to be on oxygen. And, you know, I just laugh. And, you know, I got my little nose piece here. That's, that's the way that's cool. And I'll live with that. You know, that's nothing. And I just feel blessed. You know, my moniker, when I sign off to people on my letters, I say I'm, I'm the happiest and most positive cancer patient you'll ever meet. And that's where I want to be. Because you can live with any type of infirmity. What I'm going through is nothing compared to people who are paraplegic and people who have a far different disease, greater disease than what I've got. So there's no time, there's no place to feel, feel sorry for oneself. I feel I've got to continue to go on, to live, 
live life to its fullest. And like we mentioned earlier, you mentioned, sometimes you have to kind of postpone some of that stuff. And that's where the patience comes in. You know, being patient, knowing that you can't control everything, even though we would like to. And I always wanted to, but I realized that I can't. Let Just roll with the punches. And I happen to be a believer. And I'm not trying to be preachy, but I do believe that no matter if you aren't a believer, there's still greater forces out in that universe that guide us. And those are the things that we have to look, look for strength and to get us through things when they're really, really tough. And a good support system. And I've got, there's so many prayer warriors around the world that are praying for me and sending good vibes and whatever they're believing in. And I think that's what we need to do for people. At this time, especially what's going on in our society right now with the virus going on, you know, and I know that's dating this particular news, this uh, podcast, but uh, we need to help each other more. We need to be more concerned about the other person rather than ourselves. And maybe that's the lesson that we're all going to learn, to be patient, hunkering down their homes. Now we have to figure out how to live with each other again when we've been separated from each other in so many different ways. And I think that's a real blessing in a way. Hopefully something very good will come of it. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, anything else that you feel like you'd like to share with this particular audience, uh, Tom? Uh, You know, it's just that I think we need to all be grateful. Grateful for the things we have, not worried about things we don't. Mm -hmm. And the more we're grateful and more thankful and we express it and more love, we need more love in this world. And if we continue to do those things, we'll have a happier life and you'll have a happier life. And if everybody's works on that particular part of it, we'll sell more knives too. Indeed. So, we sure will. I, I appreciate you having this forum, Dan. I think it's great. All the people you've interviewed so far, it really shows the quality of people that we have and have had in our company that have been a part of our company to show them that we're not just a little knife job. We're not a college kid's job anymore. This is for real. Cutco is a career. People can go out and they can pick up that sample kit and they can make money with it and they can have very successful lives. And that's, I think, the thing that I've seen and that you've seen in the 20, 30 years that we've been in the business. And it's changed and it's really exciting. And I'm excited to go out and live however long it is to continue to be happy, be positive. My kids call me Positon. That's what my kids call me. They also call me RoboPop because I've had so many operations and things removed from my body and replaced with mechanical things. And uh, I kind of like that. And even though they call me the Godfather in Cutco, and I appreciate that too. And uh, it's a great life, Dan. Now all we got to do is go out and, and share it with others. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tom, for sharing yourself with our audience today. I know people will enjoy hearing your story and, and I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Dan, thanks for having me on. That was Tom Rastrelli, everyone. Such a great guy. Pretty cool to hear how Tom was a personal recruit of his own daughter, how she started the job and Tom had just been out of work and liked Cutco and thought, man, I could do this and ended up having a 6K fast start, 
being up on stage for a push period. One of the last two guys up there standing next to one young Mr. Scott Dennis, who now is a region manager with the company and one of the all-time legends. And it's pretty cool to hear that early story. Love how Tom was influenced so significantly by Marty Dimitrovich and Jerry Otteson. Of course, Marty was legendary for talking about going beyond success to the point of significance. And that's a great challenge for any leaders listening today, right? How can you go beyond success to the point of significance? I love the quote from Jerry Otteson that if you make me feel good, I'll produce, right? The whole idea of how we make people feel, who we're leading, who we're inspiring, that's a critical element of success. Tom gave some great tips for salespeople, starting out with the combination of humility and confidence, the blend of humility and confidence at the same time that is crucial for anyone to be successful, but also to continue to elevate that success because they're open to learning, they're looking for ways to learn, and they realize they don't know it all. Loved hearing Tom talk about concepts of gratitude and the choices we can make. One of the things I know I have heard from Tom is to be a winner, not a whiner in life, that you'll be more fun to be around if you do that, and you'll feel better while you're at it. And that's just a great choice that people can make. And I would encourage you as you think about all the challenges we're facing in the current day, at the current time, what are the choices you can make? How can you show up in a positive way for others? How can you focus on the things that remain in your control and continue living life in a positive fashion every single day and modeling that for all the people around us? That's a great challenge that I can leave you with here today. Thanks very much for supporting the podcast, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 